Glory be to God. You may take your seats. Father, we just want to give you thanks for this awesome privilege to be at your feet for three days. This being the third of those days. I want to thank you for every word that you've sent to us thus far. Words that are aligning our ministries, adjusting our lives, and establishing us on your purpose. We thank you because you said that the path of the just is as a shining light, and it shines more and more unto the perfect day. You said that the end of a thing is better than the beginning thereof. Therefore, Lord God, on this third and final day, we are trusting you that you will cross every T, dot every I, that we will leave this place with answers and solutions because that's who you are. And yes, Father God, I acknowledge, as my brother, Pastor George Matthews, ministered, who I am, who you've made me to be. You said in your word in Psalms 139 that you have fearfully and wonderfully made me. Therefore, Lord Jesus, I recognize, I speak with an accent of an angel. But you will curse your people to have ears to hear, to get clarity and understanding because of who you are. Thank you for every ministry gift, every man, every woman. We honor you. We bless you and we praise your name forever. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Now, this morning, my task is very simple. I want to speak to us on rediscovering the ministry of the saints. Rediscovering the ministry of the saints. There is so much to say, but I'm just going to move on very quickly here. You know, there are so many passages of the scriptures that helps us to understand the reason why the new covenant is a non-negotiable factor. Second Corinthians chapter 3 is very good. The entire book of Galatians establishes the contrast between the new and the old. But in all my studies, I have not found a better doctrinal thesis on helping us to understand what we've been hearing for a few years now on this message of grace, and that's the book of Hebrews. Yes, yes, yes. Now, let, let, let me say this, let me say this, and, I, I, and I'm not saying this to patronize Pastor Dollar, to, but I just want to thank her because when I began to struggle with what I was seeing, in fact, it began, mm, I believe, in November 2013. I was ministering in church on a subject entitled, Entering into His Rest. 
And I came to the example of David in Psalms 23, verse 6, where it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And as I said that out to the congregation, I heard God say to me, Do you believe what you just said? I said, What? Now, I'm speaking to the people, but God is speaking back to me. Do you believe what you just said? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Good days, goodness and mercy are following. On the bad days, goodness and mercy are following. On the days when you're on a high note, when you're getting everything right, goodness and mercy are following. That we understand easily. But on the bad days, when I'm a bad boy doing the wrong things, Bank, do you believe that goodness and mercy is still following? And then he went on to say, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of, I said, oh, whoa. So those were the questions. Now, I am preaching to you people, and God was talking back to me. I went home. I knew that something is about to happen. I didn't know what it was. A few weeks later, I heard of the Grace Institute in Alabama. We went. We sat down. Scripture after scripture after scripture. I'm scratching my head. I said, wait a minute. I'm not sure where this is going, but I think there's a shift coming. And then the next one in Tallahassee, we were there. And it was in Tallahassee. I told my wife, I said, now I see what God is saying. So I'm saying that to say it will not be enough to hear it once, twice, thrice, four times, five times, six times. I'm telling you, it's a total immersion in order for us to become grace certified. Total, complete immersion. So the book of Hebrews is an epistle that was written to help us understand. And if we've not heard anything, we heard it last night about context being everything. Because when you read this book, it is important you understand the context. Number one, it's been written to early Jewish believers. You've got to understand that. You've got to understand that this was a transitional period. Jesus has died, buried, gone, rose from the dead, and is gone to heaven. But there were people there who saw him die. Who saw him buried? Who saw him resurrected? Who were also connected to the Old Testament system of worship? Absolutely. Yes, sir. And for them, the resurrection didn't mean anything. They just continued to do religion as usual. God help us that after having heard what God is saying to you and I over these last few months or years, that we continue to go back and do the Old Testament method of worship. God help us. God help us. So these were the people to which this letter is written. Please mind you, mind you, understand that for, the, for, for years after Jesus left, the temple of the Old Testament worship was still intact. You read about that in the book of Acts. Peter healed the man at the gate of called Beautiful. We are at the temple. So the Jewish people 
was still intimately connected to the temple. That's number one. Number two, the Aaronic priesthood was still intact. Oh, hallelujah. We know this because Acts chapter 6 verse 17 tells us that many of the priests, which priests? The existing priests of the old order, many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Thirdly, we also know that the sacrificial system was still taking place. Long after Jesus was gone. Are you following me so far? So in order to help these early Jewish believers who had become believers but had to live in a community of other Hebrews who were still tied to the Old Testament worship system, who were pressuring them and saying, wait a minute, you need to come back to us. You need to come back to us. Moses is it. You need to come back to us. In order to help them, the letter was written. So they can see that being a part of the new covenant worship system was the correct thing. Now please go with me to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, as we begin to see what the writer said. Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. Look at how it starts. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Whoa. You see, in 21st century America, that may not have rung a bell with you. But you have to understand the people to which this letter is written. You are saying to them, the apostle who spoke to Abraham, to Moses, to Isaac, to Jacob, all of those guys were prophets. That those guys were good for their day. But in these last days, there is only one voice. There is only one person who is qualified, who has a complete, the final, the full revelation of God to his church. Thank God for Elijah. You are not good enough for today. Thank God for Ezekiel. You spoke in your season. Thank God for Moses. You were good for your time. But there's only one person who is qualified to speak for God today. And his name is Jesus. Hallelujah! Jesus! In fact, if you ask me, if you were to ask me, what is the language of God? It's very easy. When God spoke, did he speak Ebonics? Did he speak English? Did he speak German? Did he speak Dutch? Did he speak Nigerian? What did God speak? I will tell you very clearly. From this passage, God spoke Sonish. 
S-O-N-I-S-H, sonish. God spoke Jesus from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. God speaks Jesus. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you now, if you're going to function in this era, if you're going to function in the kingdom of God, under grace, you better acquire the language of the kingdom. And the language of the kingdom is Jesus. Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus in the evening, Jesus, 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 nothing else but Jesus. That is the language of the kingdom. God only speaks Spanish. If you are going to Spain and you are going to function in Spain, you're going to need to acquire Spanish because that's the language of the Spanish people. If you went to Finland and you want to function in Finland, you must speak what? Finnish. And so I'm telling you today, if you want to function in the kingdom of God, under grace, you've got to get Spanish. That's the language of the kingdom of God. So everything Isaiah said, everything Jeremiah said, everything all of those wonderful men said in their day and time must be interpreted through the funnels, through the vehicle of sunish. If sunish don't certify, discard it. Hallelujah. If Jesus don't affirm it, throw it away. Because the only language of God to us today is sunish, Jesus. We can see this in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration. And those disciples saw Moses. They saw Jesus. They saw Elijah as he was transfigured before them. And they got carried away. And Peter said, man, we need to build three tabernacles. One for you, Jesus. One for Moses. One for Elijah. And a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Telling you and I. Moses represents the law. Don't listen to him. Elijah represents the prophet. Forget him. Because Jesus is a total encompassing. Oh, hallelujah. Glory be to God. He's a total package of who God is. Jesus is the language of God. Now, let me just move on from there because I want to get to the ministry of the saints. And I'm praying like Joshua prayed that the clock would stop. (laughs) So I can get it all done in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, so so now, so from from the very first sentence of Hebrew, we know that Jesus is the predominant, the prominent figure. He is. It's all about him. The old covenant was a shadow. And the new covenant in Jesus is a substance. My wife and I, we've been married about 39 years now. And in our home, we have many pictures. Her pictures been on the wall everywhere. 
So can you imagine? She's left the house, maybe she went shopping, and while she was gone, I just went to the wall and began to admire her picture. I'm looking at her on the wall in the picture. And she gets back in the house and says, honey, I'm back. If I'm still transfixed at the picture when she's there, something's wrong. <laughs> the picture is her reflection. Yeah. When she enters the house, that's a substance. Yeah. I cannot embrace the picture. Right. I cannot romance the picture. But when I have the substance, yeah. it's time out for the picture. So Jesus, the substance is here. So the Hebrew writer helps us to know he's more superior than Moses. He's more superior than angels. He's more superior than ironic priesthood. He's more superior than everything he's done. And that's why we should give him our full attention. Now, let me leave that for one moment. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, in verse 35. We were told last night that if we're going to build anything that's going to last, we must build on a solid foundation. And there's no better foundation that we can build on except Jesus. He is the foundation. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Let me just stop right there for one minute. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, you understand that the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ both, both works in the kingdom and it also works in the gospel of salvation. I want to bring up a distinction between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. Because what Jesus preached is the message of the gospel of the kingdom. It is important you, recognize, you understand that. Why is this important? Because we are given two commandments or two great, two parts of one great commission. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Right. Notice the key word, creature. Creature, individual. Yes. Yes. But in Matthew 28, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. So one gospel message addresses the individual, Mark 16, 15. But the other commission addresses nations or cultures. Which one have we been doing? Because this is a reset button time for all of us. So we are recording massive salvation decisions. People are getting born again all over the world. But have we noticed that the enemy does not feel threatened? Because being born again, according to Jesus in John chapter 3, in verse 3 and verse 5, 
being born again gets you, the Bible says, to enter into the kingdom. When you are born again, you enter. Now, all you guys are sitting here this morning, you entered the dome and you had enough sense to know you don't stand at the door. You get from the door where you entered and progressed and moved and came. What has happened is the gospel of salvation has become a destination. People get born again and park. Not recognizing that being born again is only the entry point. This is where you enter. The gospel of the kingdom, on the other hand, does not just address individuals, it addresses nations, culture, communities. Hello? In 1994, from April to July, a span of 100 days, 800,000 people were killed in Rwanda. 800,000. Think about that. In a 100-day period. Now, that is sad. But what is worse still is that in that same Rwanda, statistics tell us that we have 80% Christian population. Something is wrong with that picture. Yes, yes. How can a nation be 80% born again? They come to church on Sunday morning, they shout, they have a great service, they leave church and grab their machetes and start killing one another. 800,000 in 100 day period. Why? Because for many of them, like us, we only see the message of salvation to us as individuals, but we do not know that we have a responsibility beyond us to change the culture. The gospel of the kingdom simply means a king and a domain. It is God's intention. Hallelujah. That he wants to affect every sphere of human existence. It's not good enough for God to just get us born again in the church. What good is the church when we don't affect our communities, our culture, our nature? If we're a church, then we must be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and therefore arrest the decadence that's taking place in our communities. If that's not happening, we've not embraced the kingdom. We've not embraced the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is a mighty move of God that wants to affect every area of human living. Media, entertainment, creative acts, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home parent, the Wall Street banker, every area where humans live, God wants to reign in it. Are you hearing me? So Jesus preached... The gospel of the kingdom. Okay, let me go on. Wow, time is, okay. All right, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them 
Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, watch that. In the newer translations like the NLT or the NIV, when it says weary and scattered, it's actually talking about how they are worried and helpless. So he looks at the multitude. He said, man, these guys are worried and helpless. How many of us know that that's anywhere USA right now? People are worried. Are we going to blow up North Korea or not? Are we going to do this or not? I mean, people are worried and they feel helpless. Whether it's here in the United States, whether it's in Europe, whether it's in Africa, everywhere you go, any office, USA, office, any offices, any office, any place where you have people come together, people are there every day worried about their jobs. Are we going to be laid off? Are we going to be fired? It's, people are worried, but worse still, they are helpless. They are helpless. They are looking for someone to steer them and let them know it's going to be all right. They are worried and helpless. And then it goes on to say, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, let me, let me help you understand Sunnish language. You know what I mean by that? Let me help you understand Jesus' language. He never looks at people based on where they are. He never labels anyone or defines us by our present circumstance. He sees these multitudes. I say, wow, they're worried. Worried about their children, worried about their future, worried about their investments, worried about their family, worried. But worse, they're helpless. Then he goes on to say, they are like sheep. In other words, I already see the potential in them. They are not seen as, as you think. They are, in fact, potential sheep. They are potential candidates for my kingdom. The challenge is there is no one who will come alongside them and help guide them and help tell them, don't be anxious, be careful for nothing. There's no one around them to tell them that. In spite of the fact, and this is where I'm holding into the discovering the ministry of the saints, even though God has uniquely planted these shepherd-like people everywhere. They are already everywhere. They are already everywhere. There are shepherds, as I speak, in every troubled place right now. He's not making new shepherds. They are already there, in position. The problem is, they just don't know what to do. They don't know the reason for which they have been called, the reason for which they have been placed. It was Dr. Uh, Leighton that said yesterday, everybody has a call. Everybody, 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 everybody. The problem is they just don't know what to do. And hopefully, that's some of the uh, blanks that we want to fill in and help you to see. Because there's a ministry for everyone. In fact, I'll go further to say, every believer is a minister. 
every believer is a minister. You just don't know what platform you're in, and you don't know the truth you have. And you need to discover those things. Because Jesus looks at this multitude. He said, they are wearied and scattered, like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, potentially all of them are kingdom candidates. Yeah. I just need shepherds who will come alongside and help them discover what I've already done for them. You see this in the book of Acts. Let's go there, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, very quickly. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Watch this. In verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the, the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, Enoch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah. Now, do you see what this guy is doing? This guy had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He went to church, but he left church not touched. He had been to church, and he was leaving church having not been impacted. So he began to read from the book of Isaiah, okay? Verse 29, then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? What does a shepherd do? They guide. So this one, he said, listen, I'm willing, I'm open. I'm like the sheep without a shepherd that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 9. I need someone to guide me, help me to understand what I am reading. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, The grace of God unto salvation has appeared to all men. Yes, all men have seen this grace. They just don't comprehend it. They have seen it but they cannot connect it to where they are. They need help. They need a helper. They need someone to guide them, to help them say, listen, what's happened to you? It's the goodness of God in your life. And it's God's goodness that leads me to repentance. So, back to Matthew chapter 9. Back to chapter 9 of Matthew. Then he said to his disciples in verse 37, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in those harvest. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. The newer translations says the harvest is truly plenteous, but the workers, say workers. Workers, workers are few. Now, let me make a distinction here. 
the workers we are referring to here, or the laborers we are mentioning here, is not quote unquote Ministry of Helps. The Ministry of Helps is an essential service that must be going on in every service, every church. Granted. And we need to get better in Ministry of Helps. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about workers, laborers, ministries for the singular purpose of bringing the harvest in. Oh my God, I wish you knew who you are. I wish you understand who your God is. Because in Genesis chapter 1, when God was first introduced, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's his introduction. And then he goes on to tell us all the things that God did. Short version. God is a worker. He walked. And because he created you and I in his image and likeness, automatically, what does that make us? Workers. Work is not a bad thing. Now, we are not talking about work performance to get God's blessing. No. No, 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 no. I'm talking about being a co-creator with God. So Jesus said, the harvest is everywhere, but we need workers, laborers, men and women who recognize what God is doing and participate and join with God at what God is doing. Now, rest easy, rest easy. I'm not sending you as a missionary to Afghanistan. That's not where I'm going. No, 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 I'm not asking you to pack your bags and go to Africa. Forget that. That is for another day, not today. Not today. This is the point. When you take the sum total of all church full-time workers, pastor, missionary, uh, musicians, evangelists, whoever you are, whatever you do, full-time in the church, when you take that sum total together, worldwide, we are only 3% of the entire body of Christ. 3%. If you're having a struggle with that, look at your church population, your congregation. How many, what's the ratio of full-time staff versus members you have? Go do the math. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road now. 3% of the entire body of Christ is called into what we call vocational full-time ministry. Question to you smart people, what happens to the 97%? Are you telling me that the God of all creation, who made every man and every woman after his image and likeness, and tells us in the book of 2 Corinthians that is committed to us the word or the ministry of reconciliation, you are saying to me he only caused 3% to be involved in that? 
We have done excellently well as far as calling people to salvation. But we have a long way to go as far as equipping them and discipling them and causing them to be what God has called them to be. It has to be intentional. It can't just be shotgun messages. Three verses 97. Question. If your body, your human anatomy, your body only functioned at 3% level, would you be here today? You'd be dead on arrival. 3%! And everything we see in Scripture, God involves the whole body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 says that the body grows together in love as each part, or rather as each joint, supplies its part. Each joint supplies its part. That's what makes the body grow. Not just the head screaming, shouting every Sunday, every Wednesday. No! The amazing thing is, in chapter 10 of Matthew, after Jesus had told them that the workers are few, and that they should pray that God should send forth laborers or workers to the harvest field, the amazing thing is in Matthew chapter 10, he sends them out and tells them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus, I don't understand that. You want to reach the world. Why are you going back to Israel? Are you following what I'm saying to you? Let, let me say that again, slowly. His concern is for the multitudes. We read in chapter 9. But in chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says he gave power to those disciples. And tell them to go preach. But then he also established a priority for them as to how they go about it. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 6, he says to them, Go not, he told them specifically, don't go to the Samaritans, but to the lost sheep of Israel. That is an oxymoron. How can you be a sheep and lost at the same time? You know why he said that? Because he's aware that every Sabbath, every church service, sheep come to church, but they are lost to the purpose of God. They are in church, but they are lost to God's vision, God's bigger picture. And unfortunately, we have not helped. Because the 3% of us need the 97% to get involved in praise, to give their tithe, and to make us feel good. Not recognizing that it's our job to equip them and to place them in their ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, he called forth the apostles, the pastors, the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists. Why? For the edifying of the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Our job here in this room, we are the professors, we are the lecturers, and our jobs as professors and lecturers is to equip our students. They come to church every Sunday, they get equipped, they get briefed, and their job is to go back to their job, J-O-B, yes, to go back to their place of assignment, yes, to get connected with their faith to the marketplace. The marketplace is where it's happening. That's where we are losing the battle. 
believer is a minister. One of the great distinctions between the Old Covenant and the New was that in the Old Covenant economy, the priesthood only belonged to Aaron and his sons. The elect few, Aaron and his five sons, did our ministry. Israel just showed up. They don't know how it happens, they just show up. Is that not what we are perpetrating in our ministries today? Because we have to hit a recent button. If we're going to do what God wants us to do, we cannot continue to put this new wine in old wine skin. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. In the old covenant, the mantra or the model was come to Jerusalem. Come, 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 come. In the new covenant, the mantra and the model must be go, 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 go. Go to your jobs. Go to your houses. Go to your entrepreneur. Go to whatever you Go. And as you go, carry the glory of God. As you go, carry the message of faith. As you go, carry the message of grace. Go. Every believer is a minister. First Peter 2 tells us we are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. That's not the apostles, that's all of us. Everybody's a priest. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He washed us, loved us from our sins and made us to become kings and priests. All of us. So where are we carrying our priesthood? All of us. Billy Graham said a long time ago that the next great move of God will be in the workplaces. That's the first place I was impacted with the gospel. Workplace. Marketplace. Years ago, I was a heathen, heathen, head to toe, unbeliever. Worked at Eastern Airlines. My wife and I came up with this grand idea. We're going to start a nightclub. We call it Afro-Caribbean Connection. <laughs> I love me some reggae. I'm a Bob Marley fan all the way. Who shot the sheriff? No, I'm okay. <laughs> so we print the flyers. And I'm at work. I'm going from door to door, from room to room, giving out the flyers. Come to the club. We open the next week, man. Come. You're going to have a good time. And this young guy, Rodney Jackson, looks at me, takes the card from me, and says, Bank, you're a good guy, but you need God. Amen. That's all he said. He didn't preach. He didn't try to hit me with the Bible on his head. But you know what? Every day I went to that job, I saw him. And I watched him. I saw his integrity, his humility, his service, his love. Man, you need God. Finally, I went out. I had to go find it. Where is this church? And the rest is history. It happened on the job. 
found a job. So what I'm saying to us is, in our congregations, we have the greatest tools of God's revival. Marketplace ministers are in our congregations. Are you a doctor? You best understand the medical language than I do. I'm a preacher, but you're a doctor. So within that oil course, within those people in your sphere of influence, you speak medical, medical terminology that the rest of us don't know. As a believer, that makes you an indigenous missionary to that community. You are into construction. You're not out of this game. God wants to use your skill. You understand that language intimately, what, what makes construction work. So God is saying, no, don't try to be like Pastor Dollar. Don't try to be like Rick Clayton. No, be who you are. Don't steal your identity. Be who you are. I know what you are when I made you. There are people that's working with you. You are the only God they're going to ever see. You are the only God. We are the only God they will ever see. They don't want to hear someone. They want to see flesh. Human beings who is living like Christ in this earth. A point of reference for them. And folks, let, let, please, ministers, hear this. Every believer is anointed. The first time ever in the scriptures where the Spirit of God came upon anyone, it was not a preacher. Exodus chapter 31, verse 1, verse 2. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ah. The Bible says the Spirit of God came upon him to give him wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. This man was an artisan. A craftsman. If a craftsman came to our church, we don't respect them because, well, you know, you, you don't anointed. Oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about. God gave this man the Spirit of God came upon him for a specific purpose that no one else can do at that time in Israel. Spirit of God. Hello. When God wanted to save the world, as you mentioned in your message, Egypt. Why did he not call a preacher? Why did he call Joseph? Hello? Marketplace ministry. Joseph was the one that God used to save the world. Not me and you. Thank God for us. We do our part. Ah. Shall I take you to Nehemiah in chapter 3? And show you how when Nehemiah was building the wall, he had priests build some part of the wall, he had merchants build some part of the wall, he had goldsmiths build some part of the wall, all of them in their various areas of gifting coming together with a mind to work, and the wall was completed. And you think 3% of us will win the world. God wants to invite all the body, whatever your job description, whatever your task, God has empowered you with his spirit. And he said, wherever you find yourself, that's your parishion. Wherever you find yourself, that's your mission field. Forget going to Africa. 
How about starting here in the United States? <laughs> and what I'm sharing with you is something we can go home and start doing this Sunday. This Sunday. Thank God this week we ordained pastors. We ordained them. It's beautiful. But what would happen if we went further and did what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 15? He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And ordained you. Now you should go forth and bring forth fruit. Hello, you've already been ordained. What would happen if we said month after month, okay, this month we're going to ordain all of uh, all those in healthcare practices. Come forward, lay hands on them, and intentionally send them back to the healthcare industry, go and change it to the glory of God. We do that for preachers. The only way to help them understand that we esteem them, we must give them some recognition. Bring your sports people. You're into sports? Good. Because you're going to go out there and change the sports industry for the glory of God. You understand? God, you just don't have the skill to play football, basketball, baseball, whatever you play. It's not just a matter of your skill. There are many people that are skilled. They are not on the team. But God places you on the team because he intends to win some souls through your life. Intentionally laying hands on them and sending them out and saying, go win souls of the glory of God. Hallelujah. We must be intentional. We must be intentional. The, 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 the raw material to save the world, they are sitting in our churches. Man. The raw material to save the world are sitting in our congregations. They are sitting there. That's the only way we're going to change this culture. That's the only way. It's not going to happen through legislation. Listen, Washington can help itself. If you are looking for Washington to change anything in this country, you are lost. If it changes, it's going to be because we take ownership and we do what we need to do. So work, those that do work, we must not depreciate them because work is worship. I don't have time to get into that. But every time you walk, you are doing what God did. The root word for worship, avoda, in the Bible, is the same as walk. Work, W-O-R-K, is worship. Why? Because whatever I do, I do as unto who? The Lord. That will change the mindset of our congregation when they go to work on Monday morning. They recognize I'm not just doing there to waste my time. I'm going to, have to do something that's worthwhile. I'm going to my job as a mission for God. It changes everything. Yes, sir. It changes everything. It changes everything. Oh, goodness. So the old covenant, only Aaron can function. Only Aaron can function. And unfortunately, the church today is almost doing the same thing. In the new covenant, all of us function when we recognize our place and our role. And we intentionally seek to glorify God through what we do. Now, something that really just sealed all of this for me. I have three minutes. Let me just show it to you. Uh, oh, boy. 
The Bible talks about how Jesus liveth to make intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 7, I believe, verse 25. Man, the old covenant was so temporary. That priesthood could not continue for a reason of death. Aaron died. His son died. The son after that died. So that priesthood was doomed. But we serve on thy priesthood that is everlasting. After the order of Melchizedek. Yes. But the amazing thing in that for me, according to the Hebrew writer, the Bible says, it's perfecting those who are saved, but not only that, he leave it to make intercession. This is my encouragement to myself and to us this morning. Hear this. <laughs> he lives to make intercession. What do you think he's praying about now? He lives to make intercession. In other words, not only were you saved by grace, his ongoing intercession would sustain your being saved by grace. Aaron died, he can't even help himself. But Jesus died to rise again, and the Bible says he lives to make intercession. I mean, that's a very specific function. He lives to make intercession. The Bible could have just told us he lives. That would have been sufficient. But God wants you to know you are so secured because he's making intercession. My friend, your past is settled. Your present is secured. And your future is assured. Absolutely. Absolutely. To the glory of God. Now, time will not permit me to get into some other things. Time is almost gone. But let me just say this to you. When you watch Empire or Scandal, you don't get it all in one episode. <laughs> we understand that. So what I'm saying to you is there are materials out there on marketplace ministries. Every believer being a minister that will help you to really understand things I could not say here because of time constraint. I want to serve you. I'm not trying to make a sale, but I want to serve you. I want to make sure that when we come back here this time next year, we will all be making serious progress. Serious progress. Listen, listen, let me tell you the implication of this. Apostle Paul himself was a tent maker. That's right. The foremost apostle of grace was a tent maker. Think of the implications. In Southeast Asia, right now, we have 40,000 American missionaries. Hear this, 40,000 American missionaries. But in that same Southeast Asia, we have 2 million Americans living there. 2 million. The Southern Baptists tell us that of the 2 million Americans in Southeast Asia, that 30% of them are born again. 30% of 2 million? 600,000. Yeah. What will happen if those 600,000 were equipped and helped to, be, to understand that you are not just there to just live in Southeast Asia, that as you are living there, connect your faith with your work. You will be a paid missionary while you are there. The church will not have to spend another dime to add 600,000 new missionaries. Father, help us to reset the button. And so, Father, I thank you for this word this morning. I bless your name, Lord Jesus.
make up for the difference. Whatever I was not able to say, I thank you, Lord, that you download it to the hearts of your people, that we will get it, and that we all will be much better off there as a result. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You may take your seats. We're going to honor God now in our giving.